Welcome to the AFIRE podcast. It's early May of 2020, and in just a few months, the COVID-19 pandemic has changed our world. Governments, businesses, workers, health organization, medical professionals, we're all doing our best to protect and heal, and it has become clear that everyone and every business has an important part to play. Now, real estate investors around the world are supporting their employees, tenants, and partners the best they can. And at AFIRE, many members are asking, what are the best strategies and tactics to lead their teams through all this? And one of AFIRE's members, Lionstone Investments, is experienced as any when it comes to that question. They're based in Houston, Texas, where it's not infrequent to have a hurricane come through. And therefore, they're no stranger to crisis management, working remotely or rebuilding once the storm has passed. More important, they have been intensely focused on developing their culture, their processes, and their transparency for years. I asked Jane Page, their CEO, and Brian Sanchez, their chief investment officer, to talk a bit with me about their experiences these first few months of the crisis. And here they are on the line right now with me. So uh, I just want to thank you, first of all, Jane and Brian, for joining me today on the AFIRE podcast. Thank you. Great to be here. We're thrilled to be with you. So to start with you, Jane, um, how has Lionstone approached the crisis so far? We pulled together very quickly. And I would say that early March, we knew that we were going to have to change the way we were approaching managing our portfolio, managing our staff. We also knew that it was not business as usual. At this moment, we still did not know that we were going to have to all work remotely. But we started to implement daily leadership meetings. And the first thing is we decided to expand the leadership team, knowing that you know, it would take more than just a handful of us to navigate through what was about to happen. And we still didn't know what was going to happen. So we expanded down to the next level of our leaders. And so our team grew from six to about 13. And we knew we needed... Uh, as many resources as possible to start navigating through what was ahead. So the first thing we decided is that we really needed to focus our time and attention. And we would have to narrow down the scope of what Lionstone's strategy was to really deal with what was at hand. And what was at hand was a crisis unfolding. And so we wanted to simplify things. And we took three priorities that we felt were the most important things to spend our time and attention on. And so we narrowed our focus to three key priorities of people, investors, and opportunities. And we redeployed people amongst our staff. We uh, reorganized the team so that we were focusing the proper attention and resources for each of those three priorities. Tell us about the uh, leadership task force that started meeting in um, in early March and, and what it's been using that framework of those three key priorities. How has it been working and how are you how are we thinking about modifying it going forward? Mm -hmm. Well, I think when we initially were thinking through everything that was happening, you know, it was really in a respond crisis mode and we were really thinking about risk 
in every which way. We were identifying risk, we were assessing risk, and then managing risk, and then how to communicate risk to our investors because they were all now worried about the risk and uh, what was happening in their portfolios. And so really within the first two weeks of what was happening, we had analyzed all of the portfolios via each property rolling up to each portfolio for specific investors. And we had looked at what were the greatest risks at each of those properties, whether it was occupancy debt, um, leasing that we needed to do, um, NOI, uh, you know, just all of the key factors that are going to say, can I pay my mortgage? How much rent am I going to get in? What, uh, how is this going to affect my value? And so we were able to communicate those real key driving pieces to our investors really within the first 10 days of the situation. So by the third week of March, we were rolling out these risk assessments to each investor and having conversation with them that, you know, we weren't solving the risk, but we were identifying it and assessing it and then communicating it. It sounds almost orderly, like all of this kind of, you knew what to do. Uh, one step came after the other, but I, I get a sense that that there was a constant reassessment going on or that, you know, to a certain extent, as the disaster unfolded, that you were having to kind of shift where you were. Can, can you talk a little bit about that, Jane? Well, I think that you know, one, when we said people, investors, and opportunities, and we had, uh, I designated three people to lead each of those priorities. Again, unlike what we were doing previous to what was happening, but so for example, Brian stepped in and was the lead person on everything that had to do with an investor. And what we were doing by this was simplifying the point of contacts and who would make the decisions, you know, being coordinated. And now we're working remotely. So then I think that started happening March 16. Here we are working remotely and we're in a crisis, but having one person really drive that boat or ship or whatever you want to um, say about that. But one person that is in charge of what's happening within that work stream. And so um, I have a story that I told early on, and it just was happenstance that my son-in-law told me this story on March 16th. He is in a firefighter school, and he has been designated as the team lieutenant or leader for his um, class. And he, well, they were in a, an exercise training, and during the training, he stepped in and they were trying to pull a big 70 pound hose to put out the fire. And he stepped in with his team and he could see they were having difficulty pulling the hose. So he stepped in and put his hands on the hose and started to help pull. The fire instructors immediately stopped the exercise and they pulled him aside and they said, you are in a fire, you're in the middle of a fire. And as the leader, you cannot step into the fire. You have to stay out above the the heat and the flames and you have to make sure your people are safe and you have to make sure that you are watching where the fire is going. The winds are shifting. The fire is jumping from here to there. You have to have field vision. And so they uh, then took a rope and tied the, his hands behind his back. And they said, as a leader, you have to know how to lead your people and you cannot step into the fire and do the work for them. And so I used that analogy with the team 
that we had to know when to lead and when to let our people do their job. And so we have learned through this crisis to let our people do their job. And we have held our hands and tied our hands behind our back in a certain way that we've never let ourselves do before. You know, it's human nature for all of us as leaders to step in and want to help and um, show that we're part of the team. But when you're in a crisis, being part of the team really is, to, is, is not the solution at that moment in time. And so, you know, we, do, we have a saying at Limestone to look up and look out. And I have to keep reminding the team members that in the middle of this crisis, we have to look up and look out. And um, I think the wonderful thing about a crisis, uh, the silver lining in a crisis, is that we have seen young leaders rise up and step into new roles and they will never be the same. And we will never be the same because we have a whole new group of leaders that are really proving themselves to be efficient, smart, good decision makers, uh, taking initiative and all the things that you want your team to be able to do. That's wonderful. I mean, it, it, it actually, I love that story. And I think it's something that uh, we all have to keep in mind, uh, all of us, as we're thinking about our jobs here. But that is kind of that is a different behavior. And, and I'm sure it's not easy to hold on to that. I mean, given that your son had to have his hands tied behind his back, I, I think it would be difficult. I'd love to hear, Brian, what you think in terms of how have you learned that process and, and what have you had to do to, to tie your own hands or to help your colleagues tie their hands? Well, it's a very counterintuitive thing to do, actually. And so Jane had to uh, make the point several times to many of us who are used to jumping in and, and helping to get whatever needs to get done, get done. And so, you know, one of the unique aspects of this incredible moment in time is that you are learning to develop some new habits. And this is without a doubt a new habit. I've had to catch myself several times over the last eight weeks where I was just going to dive right into a risk matrix and change the language uh, because that's just what we do and we're helping everybody out. And so it's some self-discipline. It's learning new habits. Um, I, I, I'm super mindful of how useful the that sort of construct has been for us though it's enabled us to move much faster by having a few people outside the fray just directing efforts uh our speed has been um really really great and it's and it's partially because we've just adopted this new mindset that's fantastic um and the combination of the difficulty of doing this and the consciousness that you have to do it what i find interesting is that in disaster, in crisis, it's it's very easy to simply react, and yet you're creating a dis you're creating habits around more conscious leadership. How do you think this will play out uh, once the the crisis dissipates or 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 is mitigated by efforts over the next few months and into the following years? How do you think this will change uh, Lionstone's management going forward? Well, interestingly enough, we have been working on habits for several years now. And so fortunately, we were already thinking about how to become a stronger, more sustainable, more efficient company. It wasn't that we just started thinking about these things on March 1st. So that had we had that fortunate aspect about it. 
but changing habits and um, thinking about how do we just how do we be better? How do we be more efficient? How do we rise up the next generation of leaders? It takes a conscious effort. Um, I think one habit that we have been working on since last fall was starting and ending meetings on time. Seems very simple, doesn't it? But it really goes down to respect. And we realized that we were being disrespectful to our fellow colleagues by not showing up on time or not having a, an agenda for a meeting that knew when we would start the items that we needed to get through, what kinds of decisions we needed to make, and that we needed to end the meeting on time so that everyone could go on to the next thing that they had during their day. So just a simple item like that then taught us as we come into this crisis that starting and ending meetings on time is critical because we're all via remote. And it's not like you can walk down the hall and grab people out of meetings. We are all dispersed across, really across the country. And we have to rely on each other and respect each other that we're all going to get on the phone at the right time and that we have an agenda and we don't have time to um, not be clear and concise about what we need and what we're asking from each other and what decisions need to be made. And so um, I know that that habit is now just been strengthened and enforced and will serve us well. Gunnar, what I would just briefly add is that so many of the things that we've put into motion right now were either ideas or efforts that were percolating or already in motion. And what we've done with this unique moment in time is accelerate everything. And I, uh, I think many of the changes we've made, the expansion of the leadership team, the new uh, communication styles, the new task force meetings that we have, I suspect a fair amount of it will become permanent and they will just be new habits that make us all that more effective. But it didn't start on March 1st. Well, and I think you guys also had a, a unique advantage in that you're located in a hurricane zone. Uh, how did it feel different going into this than, say, many of uh, the hurricanes that you have faced down and had to kind of regroup uh, when dealing with that over the last five years or so? Well, that proved to be beneficial for us because within 24 hours, we know what we need from our office and all of our IT, our computers, um, we have headsets. We were all prepared. We had spent almost two weeks out of the office with Hurricane Ike, or Harvey, I'm sorry, Harvey. And so that was two years ago. So that's fresh in our memory. And we had protocols around, one, how to make sure our people are safe. You know, that is first and foremost. And how to contact people. We have, uh, we just implemented, instituted all those same guidelines that we had two years previous. And so for us, that was not the stressful part of, of this situation where we know a lot of people were scrambling to figure out how to work remotely. We, we already had that one down. And so we were able to move into that next phase of what we needed to do pretty, pretty rapidly. And yet this is very different, obviously, from a hurricane that, that, that essentially you're safe to go back to your offices and perhaps in a couple of weeks. Um, we're now in a situation where, uh, let's see, we're in the middle of, uh, we're early May, and a lot of people uh, basically started working from home in March. Uh, and it looks like for some states, uh, it will continue for some time. How, how are you managing the kind of long-term, kind of slow-moving stress 
of your team members working from home, some of them perhaps even alone at home, or also dealing with uh, family uh, constraints, uh, children and, and, and family uh, in, in their same office space with them from time to time. How are you managing that? Because I'm hearing a lot from, from members that, that that's something that they're, they're having to pay some close attention to. So we believe we've been through the respond phase of what is happening. And we want to say we're going to go into a recovery stage, but we realize that's not the right word. We are not going to recover because we're not going to go back to the way it was before. And so we have put a new word in there and we've called it uh, adapt. And um, we need to learn how to do it to adapt to really the new world. And so now we're thinking about how do we inspire, how do we support and how do we guide into this next phase of, of what's happening all the time being super mindful of our people and the support they need and encouraging them, continuing to communicate with them. And now moving into thinking about, okay, how do we, in a very planned and methodical way, open offices back up, especially for us in the real estate business, we need to try to figure out how to open up all of our real estate across the country, not just our own office space. And so we are, uh, deep into thinking through what does that look like and how do we provide the service for our own employees and our own customers so that people feel safe, healthy, and able to re-enter into this new world. I was uh, speaking with a member just yesterday um, about who is in the process of opening up an office in one of their properties in a state that's opening up. And uh, he talked about his concern that every asset, every market, every city is going to be different, that the particulars are going to matter, that it's not like you figure out one process and then scale it across an entire national or international portfolio. Um, it seems like we're having to embrace a kind of mindfulness, not unlike what you've described in terms of creating new habits, in terms of being very conscious about what you're doing, that this seems to be a, a roadmap for dealing with the uncertainties and the, the differences, if you will, from asset to asset, company to company, person to person. Uh, would you agree? Well, I think the word flexibility is the key word. And uh, I think everyone needs to be flexible with how people go back to work, uh, what times people go back to work and how does the workplace look when we get back there? And so flexibility, adaptability, understanding people. Um, I think that there's a lot of empathy for just working with each individual person. You know, that, that same, I don't know if it's flexibility, but definitely every situation is unique. Even as we deal with rent relief across the portfolios with tenants, Every single tenant is different. Every single tenant has a different need. And so that's requiring a lot of customized personal attention. We, we've just um, sent out a survey to our entire team, asking them a variety of questions about how and when they do want to return to the office so that we can be very thoughtful about um, doing that in a, in a way that people feel safe and comfortable um, and it, it's going to take time it's, and it is going to vary person to person. And uh, I think that's that's the only way to approach this moment. From a management standpoint and from a time standpoint, 
this certainly is not, this is not something you just turn it on and let it go. Um, how are you thinking through the, the, the requirements of yourselves and of your, your colleagues that are more in leadership positions in terms of being able to keep that focus, um, even as you're being required to focus on more and in more detail? That's a really good question, I think, for all of us as we go through crisis. Uh, how do we maintain a healthy outlook? How do we maintain a healthy body? How do we maintain a healthy soul and spirit? And uh, so uh, one uh, story, when we started our, our management meetings, we did three a week, morning, uh, Monday morning, Wednesday morning, and Friday morning. We called them leadership briefing meetings. When we started, they were all about the crisis. And this week, Brian and I changed the cadence of that meeting so that it became more of a rhythm of inspiration on Monday, support on Wednesday, and then guidance and encouragement and gratitude on Friday. So as you, as you say, Gunnar, the, the toll that it's taking on us uh, physically and mentally is, uh, I can start to see it. I start to feel it myself. And we have to be very mindful about um, how we are moving into this next phase of um, of the situation, and and you know it's going to take some time, but patience and understanding. And I don't know, Brian, if you have some other. Well, I, I would say the other thing that we need to do as leaders, and we're trying to do, is really uh, manage our time and attention, our team's time and attention, our own time and attention. And we have to do it in the context of lots of uncertainty that's going to persist. And we um, also need to do it in the context of, of many demands on our time and, a, and a, really a compressed workday in many respects for so many people who are caring for either children or elderly parents, the, the, the workday in many respects has been compressed. So in order to do all that you need to do in this moment of crisis and uncertainty, you have to be really focused about time and attention. And again, this is one of these habits that we were working on before the crisis, and now we've really locked into. And um, these leadership briefings or these management committee meetings that we have regularly, they're really focused on, are we, is our time and attention in the right place? And if not, we redirect. Incredible. That's just incredible wisdom. And I think it's a it should be guidance for all of us as we're managing the crisis in terms of our time, our attention um, and our mindfulness. Um, I also loved uh, your thought, Jane, in terms of gratitude. Uh, a friend of mine once referred to it as as the uh, the, the superpower uh, that allows teams to come together and to endure uh, difficulties and uncertainty. Um, if they simply take some time to accept the, the the gifts that we've all been given and the good fortune we've been given. So I, I love hearing that and hearing that in a very practical and a very uh, kind of mindful way for your organization to continue to succeed through the crisis and beyond. Well, uh, yesterday we had another firm meeting and we usually had a firm meeting every month prior to this. And we've stepped up firm meetings to every other week. And we have been having them on every other Monday afternoon. And yesterday, we had one of our colleagues who fit the part perfectly, uh, did some good news, if anyone is watching that on YouTube with John Krasinski. 
and he lo- he played the part perfectly. And we did some good news for Lionstone. And we went through all of the great things, amazing things, incredible things that our team is doing over the last six weeks and spoke about it and had charts about it and really wanted to have everyone feel really good about the hard work that they're putting in and that we appreciate it. Our investors appreciate it. And, uh, you know, that together uh, we're going to get through this. Well, I think that's a that's a fine place for us to stop this interview. We've uh, the the time has just flown by. Uh, I want to thank you both, Jane and, and Brian, for for joining us uh, during this podcast. You're welcome. Thank you, Gunnar. Our pleasure. Thanks for having us. And before we close out this podcast, I wanted to make sure we took some time to thank our underwriters, Prologis, JLL, and Holland Partners, who make it possible for AFIRE to provide programming such as these podcasts. Thank you. This podcast is produced by AFIRE, the Association for International Real Estate Investors focused on commercial property in the United States. AFIRE is not engaged in providing tax, accounting, or legal advice through this podcast. None of the content is to be construed as a recommendation to buy or sell any asset. Some information included in this podcast may have been obtained from third-party sources considered to be reliable, though AFIRE is not responsible for guaranteeing the accuracy of third-party information. The opinions expressed in this podcast are those of its respective contributors and sources and do not necessarily reflect those of AFIRE. This is Gunnar Branson from the AFIRE podcast. Thank you for listening.